You know, in uh, 2011, there was this survey that was done, and it, it asked people about the top, temp- top temptations that they face. Uh, and those surveys said they, they struggle with the, the following temptations, either often or sometimes. Number one, worrying or being anxious, 60%. Procrastinating or putting things off, <clears throat> 60%. Eating too much, 55%. Spending too much time on media, 44%. This was 10 years ago. I wonder how that has skyrocketed, um, particularly in the last 18 months. Being lazy, 41%. Spending more money than they could afford, 35%. Gossiping about others, 26%. Being jealous or envious of others, 24%. Viewing pornography or sexually explicit material, 18%. 18% as if talk about underreporting, but abusing alcohol or drugs, 11%. Um, And then when asked if they tried to do anything specific to avoid giving in to temptation, 41% said yes, 59% said no. And when people were asked why they give in to temptations, here's the top four reasons. I am not really sure, 50%, half the people. Uh, to escape or get away from real life, 20%. Uh, to feel less pain or loneliness, 8%. So the second and third reasons are really about escapism, like not being able to stay with uncomfortable feelings. And then at 7%, to satisfy other people's expectation of me. Now, I, I found these answers kind of instructive, personally, for a couple of reasons. Because the majority of people in this survey seem to imply that temptation is just kind of something that happens that I succumb to. I, I don't know where it comes from. I don't know what to do about it. I don't think there is anything to do about it. But what are you going to do? And uh, that lack of, I think, self-awareness is, is maybe the root of the problem here. And I want to tell you today that there is something you can do about it. And part of it begins with having some understanding, some self-awareness about temptation. The first thing I think you need to know about temptation is that much of the time, this is a spiritual issue. Um, Derek picked such thoughtful songs today about the battle that we are in. All throughout scripture, Satan and his emissaries are attacking God's people with, with lies and with temptation, hoping that they'll succumb to sin. You know, often Christians, when it comes to talking about thinking about dealing with Satan and demons and the like, we'll either land in one of two ditches, right? The first one is obsessing about it, looking for demons behind every bush, every, every negative thing must be the devil. Uh, and we give him more credit than he deserves. That's the first kind of ditch. The second ditch is the other extreme, which is not even recognizing that our fight is ultimately against an unseen spiritual foe, you know, principalities of darkness. And we disregard all the supernatural stuff. And in doing so, we leave ourselves unguarded, spiritually speaking. And, and both extremes are kind of unhelpful. We're, we're, we're looking to be 
wise and realize that we do have a spiritual enemy. The Bible says that Satan uh, is like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. But there's also, you know, there's also real things like mental health issues and childhood wounding and physiology, uh, immaturity. Not everything is from the devil. I follow uh, on Instagram um, best Christian memes on Instagram, and this made me laugh out loud this week. It says, uh, it's not spiritual attack, you just make bad choices. And sometimes that's true. Uh, but when the temptation is spiritual, and the spiritual temptation is often daily, several times a day even, I believe what's happening is that you and I are being tempted to break away from God's story, uh, to take a path that is not his good story for us, his good plan for us. Uh, God has a good story for humanity, um, for his people, for those who call him father. It's a story that started in a perfect garden, it's a story that will end in a perfect city. And he has a good story planned for you individually. And of course, every time we give in to temptation, we bring harm to ourselves or to the people we love or even to the reputation of the gospel of Christ. Wouldn't it be great if we were so grounded, so connected to the authority and the power and the peace of Christ, that when that moment of temptation came, we were able to stand our ground. Um, it turns out, though, we do have a real-life example, an instructive example from our chief role model. Uh, the Bible tells us that around the time Jesus was 30 years old or so, he's He's baptized by John, his cousin, who had been preparing the way, preaching uh, that the kingdom of God was near and that it was time to repent. And uh, by the way, if you've never been baptized and you're a follower of Christ, uh, don't wait anymore. We'll, we'll baptize you here. We'll make sure the water is just, just right. And uh, it's so nice. You may just want to stay in there, in fact. So, so talk to a pastor if you've never been baptized. Anyways, the Bible says that as Jesus comes out of the water, the heavens open, the spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. And there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, yeah. And it was a beautiful moment that marked the beginning of, of his public ministry. And to our surprise, instead of you know, seizing the moment and launching a 30-city miracle and preaching bus tour, Jesus disappeared into the desert 40 days alone. Uh, let's look at Luke 4. This is what it says at the beginning of, of chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. Okay, talk about cabin fever, the, the series that we're in. Alone, hungry. I mean, even Elijah got some raven DoorDash action here, but not Jesus. Jesus. 
And it's interesting, the more familiar you are with the Old Testament, as you read the Gospels, you start connecting these dots, these allusions, and you start to see that there is some powerful symbolism going on and some intentionality going on. There's no accidents here. For instance, you'll see that Jesus' ministry begins the same way that humanity's story begins in Genesis. It begins with temptation. As soon as Adam and Eve were were blessed by God, Satan shows up in the form of a serpent and tempts them. You know, in the genealogy of of Jesus in Luke 3, we see the lineage of Jesus going all the way back to Adam. You know, that's, that's intentionally there. Jesus is our second Adam. He's the better Adam. He, he, we, we know how the temptation encounter in the garden ended about as badly as it could possibly end for all of humanity. So how's this encounter with temptation going to end. And not only that parallel, notice where the encounter takes place in the wilderness. What else happened in the wilderness? Well, Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years in disobedience. 40, there's that number again. Um, The same desert, I might add. I actually got to go to that desert when I was in Israel. Let's just show a picture of that. We're sitting at the bottom of what they call Temptation Mountain. Did I include that picture? I'm not sure if I did now. Yeah, yeah. So, so I don't know. They, there's, some, there's some evidence that maybe this was the, the bottom of the mountain where Jesus was tempted. Uh, I'm not, I don't remember those details of why. Uh, and maybe it's not even important, it sure sort of put me in the mindset of, of picturing Jesus there um, tempted. And, and so now Jesus is in that wilderness 40 days. Uh, he too has a choice to either follow God's leading or turn back. What is he going to do? It's not a coincidence either. This is nothing less than a reenactment, a, a redo of Israel's failure, it's of their wandering. Like, um, like we sang earlier, you know, Jesus stepped into my Egypt, right? He brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. It's, it's, like, um, it's like a back to the future moment. Okay, now forgive me if my 80s movies illustrations don't connect with everyone. Maybe it's why the Bonhams come every week, because they're hoping for an 80s movies. Some of you millennials didn't get my Karate Kid reference from a few weeks ago, but tell me that you've seen Back to the Future. Um, Marty McFly, he's an 80s teenager growing up in kind of a loser household, right? His father's a buffoon, his mother drinks in the afternoons, and his siblings are classic underachievers. And we learn it all kind of started back when his parents were teenagers, when his father was humiliated by a bully in high school, Biff, right? So when Marty is accidentally sent back to 1955, he kind of arranges the circumstances in a way that his father stands up to the bully Biff and he becomes the hero 
Well, um, the redo of that one failure actually rewrites history. And when Marty finds his way back to 1985, he finds a confident, successful dad, uh, a happy mom. And, and then there's old Biff in the driveway, you know, waxing the family cars, right? Well, this is kind of our back to the future moment. After thousands of years of humanity's humiliation at the hands of a bully named Satan, Jesus comes to rewrite history. Jesus comes to face the bully. He, he came to show us how to live God's story. And so what can we learn about overcoming our own temptations? I think there's a couple things. First, I want you to notice um, how vulnerable Jesus was. Uh, he's physically depleted. He didn't eat anything for 40 days. Uh, 40 days is like at the outer limit of what humans can, uh, you know, can take. Uh, and I want you to notice something. Satan is going to come at us when we are physically depleted, when we are most vulnerable, when we are tired, hungry, stressed. This is a, this is a spiritual truth, but there's some physiolo- physiology going on here too. You know, in premarital counseling, I always cover some of this just pragmatic advice, like do not make big decisions when, um, you know, do not have like important relational discussions. Uh, By all means, do not have an argument when you are tired, when you are hungry, when your blood sugar is low, when you are exhausted physically, um, you are quite literally using up your reservoir of, of brain power and endurance and willpower and energy just to kind of function. You are susceptible, more susceptible to doing something that you'll regret. And here's Jesus, fully God, yes, but fully man with all the biology, all the limitations that come with having a human body. And he wasn't just starving. He was also alone. He had no one to lean on, no one to encourage him. We become more vulnerable, more spiritually vulnerable, especially when we are isolated, when we are alone. We have found that out during the last 18 months, haven't we? So he's hungry, he's alone, He's far from home. I actually took a bus out from Galilee to the wilderness. And I was thinking, man, did Jesus walk all the way out here? Like he didn't have cell service uh, out in the wilderness. Folks, you know, those who travel for business will, will tell you that there's a, there's a vulnerability that significantly increases when they are away from home, on the road when no one is watching, when there is no one around to remind them of who they are and whose they are, this is where various pastors and evangelists have gotten into all kinds of trouble. So this is a dangerous moment for Jesus and for God's story. Now, notice how crafty Satan is here too. He, he comes to Jesus 
three different times in three different ways. He tempted Jesus the first way, um, and, and it's a way that he tempts us. First, Satan tempts us to have something we're not meant to have. Here's what it says in Luke 3, verse 4. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. Satan tempted Jesus with the most basic and immediate need, food. Is there anything wrong with food? Is there anything wrong with eating bread when you're hungry? Of course not. It's just not what God had in mind for Jesus at that particular moment. Jesus was fasting. He was abstaining from food to focus on God. It was, it was not the time for him to eat bread. Satan will tempt us with those same kinds of things, to have things we're, we're not meant to have or to have things we're not meant to have at that moment. And yes, sometimes we are tempted with food. Again, food is a gift. There's, um, there's nothing inherently evil about cake, but there's such a thing as too much food, the wrong kind of food, food for ourselves instead of food for the hungry. There's all kinds of ways that this good thing can be turned into a selfish thing. Look, Satan can tempt us with about anything, right? Good things, neutral things, uh, nicer clothes, social media, cooler technology, a, a newer car. Nothing inherently wrong with any of those particular things, but depending on the context, they may lead us on a detour from God's path, from the story that he wants to write in us. And we might have to compromise our integrity for some of those things. We may have to work too many hours to hang on to some of those things. We might have to give less to God or give less to others so that we can have more of those things for ourselves. And even if we can't have those things, Sometimes the mere desire for them can, can rob us of our joy, uh, our, our contentment, our gratitude. It can stir up jealousy and, and greed in our hearts. Are you tempted to have something you're not meant to have? Secondly, Satan will tempt us to be someone we're not meant to be. Here's what it says in Luke 4, verse 5 to 8. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan invites Jesus to become an earthly king, to have all the cities and the nations of the world if he'd only bow down to him. Now, to be clear, Satan didn't have the authority to offer Jesus the kingdoms of the world. Lying has never been a problem for Satan. But the point is that this is not the kind of king that Jesus came to be. The father didn't send him to set up some earthly government. He sent him to establish a heavenly kingdom. And Satan is going to come at us with that same 
kind of temptation. It'll tempt us to be something that we're not meant to be, to be popular, to be famous, to be powerful, maybe to be married, to be successful, to be comfortable. Now, of course, your story, God's story in you may include some or all of those things along the way. But Satan comes along and tells us to be them now, before God's perfect timing. And so we we run ahead of God or we work around God or we walk away from God. And I wonder if you are tempted this morning to be someone you're not meant to be. Satan also tempts us in this third way, to do things we're not meant to do. His way says in verse 9 to 12, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This time, Satan throws scripture at Jesus, twisting its meaning and context. It's it's an old tactic that he uses. You know, it goes back to the garden. Did God really say dot, dot, dot? And Satan will tempt us to do something we're not meant to do, to go off on our own, to live carelessly or recklessly, assuming that God will catch us when we disobey. And that's a dangerous assumption to make. We we were not meant to abuse our bodies with excessive alcohol. We were not meant to give ourselves away sexually outside of marriage. Are you tempted to do something you were not meant to do? So, Jesus was tempted along these three lines to have something, to be somebody, to do something other than what God intended. In other words, Jesus was being tempted to break away from God's story. Satan tempted Jesus with a different storyline, one without hardship, one without suffering, one without the cross. And, and that's the same thing he offered Adam and Eve, a, a different storyline than what God had intended. It's the same thing he offered Israel in the wilderness, a different God-ordained storyline. It's the same thing he offers you and he offers me every time that he suggests that we do or be or have something contrary to God's story for us. Adam and Eve fell victim to temptation. The people of Israel fell victim to temptation time and time again. You and I fall victim to temptation, but Jesus didn't. Jesus stood the test. He looked Satan in the eye and he said, my life is more about food. It's it's more than power. It's, it's about more than safety. It's about doing my Father's will. Jesus faced the bully. And three times this bully had come at him with his worst stuff. And three times Jesus fended him off. How did he do that? 
Uh, if we think Jesus did it simply because we see him as some kind of superhero disguised as a mild-mannered rabbi, you know, that beneath the, the tattered robe, he had some, you know, special suit that gave him superpowers. That's not what the Bible says. Uh, here's what it says in Hebrews. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. For this reason, he had to be made like them, like us, fully human in every way, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Because Jesus was tempted, he's able to help us who are daily tempted. Tempted in every way, yet sinned not. Not because he played the God card, okay? But because he did something that we ourselves can do. He had so strengthened himself spiritually that in the moment when the battle came, he was able to say no to temptation. He had such security in his identity as a child of God. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased, that, um, that he would resist the temptation to take on another false identity. And that same spiritual strength is available to every Christ follower this morning, to you and to me. We find strength to live God's story when we order our lives around the practices of Jesus. Look again at the opening lines of verse one. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the desert. Now, notice that Jesus is already full of the Spirit before he goes into the desert. And what did he do when he's in the desert? Well, he fasted so that he could focus on the Father, his relationship with him. And what was he thinking about while he was in the desert? I'll bet on scriptures, right? He, I doubt he carried a bunch of scrolls under his arms, right? But he had these scriptures at his disposal because they were up here and they were in here, okay? And he understood their meaning because he had spent time reflecting on them and meditating on them. And that makes sense because if you take a careful look at the scriptures that he, he quotes to Satan, I don't know if you noticed this, but they, they all come from this small section of Deuteronomy that deals with Israel's time in the wilderness, interestingly. It seems that G while Jesus was out in the wilderness himself, he probably was reflecting on Israel's time in the wilderness. So who did Jesus talk to when he was in the desert? Well, I said he was alone earlier, but he wasn't really, was he? He talked to his heavenly father. Um, why did he go to the desert in the first place? To retreat, to, to pull away from the noise and the crowds telling him who he should be and what he should do. He went there so he could continue to train himself to hear the voice of the father. And Jesus didn't overcome temptation because, again, yeah, because he used some anti-temptation superpower that we don't have. Um, Jesus didn't overcome temptation because he tried harder 
than you and I might try. Jesus overcame temptation because he had trained for it. He was ready for this moment. He'd ordered his life around some practices that strengthened him spiritually. Now, we traditionally call these practices um, spiritual disciplines, and typically we put them in one of two buckets. You know, one is we abstain from certain things, you know, maybe even good things for a, a time at least. But there's also disciplines of engagement, you know, choosing to engage in prayer and scripture reading and reflection and worship and acts of service and memorization and meditation. Habits, really, right? Jesus had most certainly been doing this, these kinds of things since he was a boy. Um, why do you think he knew these stories so well? He'd learned them in the synagogue. He had them ready because he had memorized the scripture. He, he knew their meaning because he had reflected on them. Uh, he understood the importance of worshiping uh, because he had uh, ordered his life around Saturday Sabbath. And this had been for his entire life. He, he was able to hear the Father's voice because he had trained his ear to do that. The same spiritual strength is available to you and to me. In other words, I'd put it like this. Instead of trying to be like Jesus, train to be like Jesus, right? There's a big difference between trying and training, and that's how you overcome temptation. Not by trying, but by training, by building spiritual strength. You can't overcome temptation by kind of gritting your teeth and willing yourself to overcome. In fact, science sort of backs me up on this, that it turns out there's sort of a, a finite amount of willpower that you have that is chipped away at uh, through tiredness and hunger and, and just using too much of it. And you can train yourself to be ready for that moment of temptation. Now, I just want to remind you of something. Temptation and sin are quite different, right? Like Jesus was tempted in every way, yet sinned not. Uh, just because you're tempted doesn't mean that you are in sin. Temptation is an opportunity either for sin or for victory. A lot of people, unfortunately, experience great shame when they are faced with temptation. And that, that's not from Jesus. But at the same time, because we have the spirit of self-control in us, we don't have to cave in to sinful desires either. Christ in you wants to help you fight for holiness, fight for purity, fight for discipline. James 1 verse 12 says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. So let me just give you a little illustration here. Some of you may remember this. I forgot to bring my barbells. Some of you are like, you have barbells? They're somewhere in the house, I think, in a box. When I lift weights, which is never, by the way, the, the idea is to build 
muscle, right? And it's working with the principle of resistance, the science of resistance. Greg Moulton could explain this better than I can, but I'm, I'm resisting gravity as I, as I pull it up, and if I slowly let the weight down, it's building muscle as I use resistance on the way down, right? If I don't resist, it just kind of pulls me down. And, and it doesn't build muscle either. So as I let it down, I'm, I'm using resistance. What's my point? Some of y'all need to get into training, okay? You need to begin to build up the muscle that resists temptation, okay? Is your mind filled with fantasy, sexual images? As you begin to resist those, you start to build up your temptation-resisting muscle, okay? And guess what? It gets easier the next time. How do I resist it? Well, how about this? Begin to fill your mind with scripture. Begin to meditate on the words of the great shepherd. Uh, Can't seem to trust yourself around a computer late at night? around certain people, maybe, when your spouse is away, start resistance training by setting up boundaries, by setting up accountability in your life. Your temptation-resisting muscles will actually grow. God wouldn't give us hope of victory over this if it weren't possible. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen? So Jesus teaches us to pray. What does he say in the most famous prayer ever prayed? Lead us not into temptation. But um, I found this interesting as I studied. The original Aramaic could more literally be translated as, don't let the evil one take us by surprise. I think that's so good. So we stay ready. We stay alert. We stay trained. Not taken by surprise. When Satan showed up, Jesus was ready and he was able to stand strong. And even when he was hungry and alone and away from home, he was ready because he had trained himself. That strength is available to us as we order our lives around the practices of Jesus. You know, overcoming temptation is not a matter of trying harder. It's not a matter of training yourself, um, uh, you know, in a physical way, but it is a matter of training yourself in preparation for when that day of temptation comes, and it certainly will come. Jesus won this showdown in the desert, and he delivered a roundhouse punch to this enemy and sent Satan off licking his wounds. Uh, Luke tells us that when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him till an opportune time. And, And Jesus would meet this enemy again and many times during his ministry, right up until the end. It's, it was never easy. Uh, it won't be easy for you. There was a time in the garden of Gethsemane when, when, Jesus was so tempted to change his story. 
he agonized over what he was about to face and he, he sweat blood. But Jesus stood the test. He faced the bully and won. And so can you. So can we. God's story for Jesus was way better than the story that Satan offered. You know, Satan suggested that Jesus make himself some bread. But God's plan was that Jesus was going to make enough bread to feed thousands. And ultimately that Jesus would be the bread of life who feeds the souls of the world. You know, Satan offered Jesus the opportunity to rule kingdoms of the world. But the Father made Jesus the king of the cosmos with everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth bowing to him. Uh, Satan dared Jesus to throw himself from the temple and see if God would catch him in the last moment. That's child's play. Jesus faced all the fears, the sins, the ugliness of every evil, past, present, and future. He faced the very gates of hell and death only to have the Father raise him up and exalt him. God's story for Jesus was so much better than the one that Satan tempted him with. And God's story for your life is so much better than what the enemy will offer you through temptation. God's story for my life is far better than any story I could come up with, let alone what my enemy of the soul could come up with. It's not necessarily an easier story, but it's a better story. What's your story going to be? What's your testimony going to be? I pray that it's, it's God's story in you, a story that says, from death to life, I've been forever transformed. I want to invite you to stand as we sing together. God, would we have the power and the presence and the authority of Christ in us for when that day comes, we'd be able to resist temptation, that we'd be able to stand and having done all to stand. We ask it in Jesus' name. May our testimony be one of God's story in us. Amen.